Hi family, hi friends, hi food lovers. Hey neighbors, hey community, hey comics, people who like to cook, connect, and kvetch. Thanks so much for joining me for Hot Dish. Hello, and welcome to Hot Dish. I'm your host, Lauren Huberman. Each week, I whip up something tasty while chatting with a guest who dishes about their life. In honor of my guest today, I will be making an Italian dessert called tiramisu, which uses espresso. You'll see the tie-in shortly. And also, I want to say that my guest today is Italian, so there's another tie-in there. And this Italian dessert literally translates to pick me up because it has espresso in it. So for those of you who've listened in the past, when I didn't know what a Dutch baby was, I have learned <laughs> and I do know now what tiramisu is. Anyway, my special guest today is a very lovely, talented woman named Christine Ferreira. I'm so excited to have her on here. She is the producer of this podcast, as well as many others at the Lincoln Lodge. She's an artist, a performer, a storyteller, a stand-up comic, and she's an author. She wrote a wonderful book called Starbucks Diary, my 10-year, my I wanted to make sure, journey to caffeinated enlightenment. And I'm so excited she's here. Welcome, Christine. Oh, thanks, Lauren. Nice to be here. <laughs> nice to be on this side of the camera, I should say. Yeah, exactly. You're usually behind the scenes. You're you're like the wizard behind the curtain yeah. normally. Yeah. So, so yeah, I wanted to have you on to talk about your Starbucks diary, but when doing some sleuthing, some background research about you, I discovered so many cool and interesting things that I didn't know as well. So, very very impressive. But let's start with your Starbucks diary, which I think is so cool and unique and fascinating. And can you just tell the viewers and the listeners a little bit about how that project got started as well as what the project is? Sure, absolutely. Um, so here is, I'll just show you a little, that's the, the book version of it, which is actually just one kind of element of it. But um so let's see. So in a nutshell, what it is, is um, I was at a point in my life. Um, so like you said, I'm an artist. I started out as a painter and um, this was this started out of that. Actually, it was during a time when I was uh, a painter. I was living in Richmond, Virginia, and I was a waitress and I was always juggling a lot of jobs like I would literally always have two or three jobs at a time. And I was always kind of like running around. I was probably in my mid thirties, not to give away my age, but, um, and so I was at a point in my life and kind of my art career, if you can call it that, um, which was that I wanted, I like really was craving something else, like a different, either a different medium or just like a different form of expression. Like I love painting, but it just wasn't, I guess there was always, I always wanted to do something more in performance, but I, at the time, this is like 2005, I didn't know how to get there. So I just was kind of like, um, you know, 
painting alone in my studio when I had time. And it's like this very solitary thing. And it just felt really isolating. And um, I was also like living in Richmond and single. And I had just bought this house with like my waitress money. And I could barely, barely afford it. So I was constantly just picking up any work that I could. I was just like, like I said, I would go back and forth between many jobs. I think I had four at one point. That was probably the most jobs I had at once. But I was just kind of like really um, at sort of hitting a wall with a lot of things, like with being alone, with um, not having enough money and like just not, you know, and not having a, a, enough time to paint or make art or even feel like an artist, you know, I just was kind of feeling very drained. And so I kind of, I sat in on this class, mainly it was like a video performance art class. And I mainly was just sitting in so that I could get use of their cameras and like all the stuff at this local art department. And, um, but the teacher was amazing. And so he, re he really pushed us to try new things. And so one day I, w I was like, well, I want to start doing a performance, you know, and the real inspiration for it was this particular artist whose name I'll probably butcher, but it's something like Shado, Shado Ching. He's Taiwanese and he's sort of um, considered one of the like sort of creators of performance art. So he did these performances called one year performances where he would do something every day um, it's like a durational piece. So the one that really got me was he did this piece where he photographed himself punching a time clock every hour of every day for a year. And so if you really think about that, it's like if you're punching, if you're doing something every hour, like you can't really sleep for any, you know, and I mean, it just brings up so many things. And so it it was his way of being like, this is my life. I'm literally marking time and this is my art, you know, like my, the time of my life is the piece. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. this one year slice of my life is the performance. And it kind of blew my mind. Like I, I still don't feel like I even can totally wrap my head around it, but I, so I started thinking about, oh, I want to do something like that, like some kind of ritual, like where I do something ritualistically, but I couldn't really think of anything. And I also, this is really bad, but I kind of didn't want it to be, I wanted it to be fun because I was like, if it's terrible, I'm not going to want to do it, you know, and I appreciate like the sacrifice of doing something like that, but I was like, Ugh, I'm not really... I'm just not that much of a masochist or I don't know if that's yeah. masochistic, but anyway. you don't have to torture yourself to, to create something. Right. You know? So yeah. it was really on my mind. And, um, I guess I should add to that. I also am like just sort of somebody that in the back of my head, I've always sort of fantasized about having a person to which I could sort of confide all my stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like you have a best friend or something like that, which is great, but it's also like you don't want to burden that person with absolutely everything. So I always sort of had this idea that it like, oh, I wish there was somebody that I could just like 100 percent 
tell everything to and like just be seen and be like, you know, somebody who just kind of like gets it or whatever. So one day I was at Starbucks by my house and I saw these cards that they have like a rack by the nutmeg area (laughs) that's just like pamphlets that say we'd love to hear your thoughts and I really was like what you know like I remember really being struck by that because I thought that's quite a statement for a corporation to make like it's just so intimate and it's also kind of part of that Starbucks corporate brand image thing of like oh you know like we're just hanging out with you we're like your local coffee shop that's identical in every city and the entire world and is also like (laughs) I don't know like totally generic and like corporate but um but it has sort of they try to cultivate that sort of like friendly coffee house feel or whatever so I I really noticed it and I picked it up and I just started reading it this is what it actually looks like I have a picture of it of the comment of the comment card yeah that's the comment card oh I'm sorry um But yeah, so it says, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, also, they don't make those anymore. It used to be, this is in 2005, so they would have a, every Starbucks would have like a stack of these. So every time I would go to a Starbucks, I would just grab a stack of them. So I decided to start writing them these letters every day. And I wrote them, I wrote them, you know, I would, I mean, it doesn't take long. It's just like a little paragraph. And then the postage is included on the thing. So you just throw it in the mail. It's really easy. And I was like, oh, this is so perfect and it's fun. But then what I didn't realize is within a couple months, I start, they sent me a letter. (laughs) And I was like, I will never forget the first one I got from them because I was just like, Oh my God, there's like just, this is back in the days where you would actually get mail sometimes. Uh, And I see this, this letter with this big Starbucks logo on it. And I was so scared because I thought for sure, because my, in my mind, corporations are like the devil or something. I don't know, you know? So when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, it's going to be like from a lawyer. It's going to be a (laughs) cease and desist order or something. I don't know why I was so paranoid about it. But anyway, then, but then I opened it and it was like, oh, thanks so much for writing and telling us about your day at Starbucks. And it was, it was sort of like, so there was sort of always this right away this kind of like disconnect. Like I thought, oh, they they read my letter or one of my letters. I don't know which one. And now they're writing me back, but not really. Like they're like, thank you so much for your patronage at Starbucks. Like it was just, the, of course, everything they say is about them. So I was just sort of like, oh, thanks for being such a good customer and whatever and taking the time to share all your thoughts and it was just really generic Mm -hmm. and I was Mm -hmm. like okay but it had a coupon for a free drink in it so I was like okay well this is cool so I kept doing it and then as like the months progressed I kept getting letters from them and but they were always sort of like these vague formal corporate letters that would never specifically say anything that I had talked about and, and what what were some of the things that you had talked about? <laughs> well, so here's the thing is like this is 
what I would talk about. So at first I was like, I don't really know what to talk about. So I just was like, oh, I'm having coffee. And I described my coffee. And then pretty quickly that just gets so boring. So <laughs> then I just start talking to them about like, oh, I went out with this guy last night on this date and it didn't go well. It was like really bad. And uh, this is what happened. And, you know, I don't think I'm going to go on a second date with this guy or whatever. And then I would just be like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And then just start uh, kind of unloading about like relationships and art and money and my job and whatever it was. So within a really short period of time, I am fully unloading on them and just like really spilling my guts completely. And I mean, it's like you can't, I don't know. And then every once in a while, I'll get this letter back from them. And I, it would kind of always give me a little pause. But then it would just be this like, that's great. We're so happy to hear that. I mean, even <laughs> when I would tell them like some horrible thing, like, oh, this guy, you know, I've, I've been dating this guy for a couple months. He just broke up with me or whatever. They'd be like, that's fantastic. And we're so excited that you're enjoying our coffee. And I would be like, what the hell? But so I just kept doing it because also it was like an assignment for the class I was taking. Yeah. And so I would tell my teacher about it. And he would just, he was so into it. Like then he would just start asking me all the time, like, what did they say? What's going on? What did you tell them? And so then that that led to someone invited me to their bookstore opening to do a reading. And I was like, a reading of what? And they were like, those letters you're writing to Starbucks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could read that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, read that. So I did this. I just went through and picked out, you know, maybe 20 or so of these letters. And then a, a few of the ones that I had gotten. And I just read them in the order that they were, you know, chronological and the order that I received the Starbucks letters. And it just was really funny, and people really liked it. And this is way before I ever did stand-up comedy. So, you know, I think I was writing funny stuff, but I wasn't in the habit of writing jokes or funny stuff. I just was, like, literally telling them what was going on with me. But, um, but when I read them out loud, it was pretty entertaining. And so people were like, you have to keep doing this. So then it kind of turned into the first performance I ever did, which was just reading these cards. Um, yeah. yeah. So that was pretty it's much that. So I think it's such an awesome project. And I've heard <laughs> like before I had you on the podcast, of course, and I've gotten to know you and I've, I've looked through your book a little bit. And then I've heard you on other interviews describing the project and someone who interviewed you, I think on NPR had said like, it's, um, it's about heartbreaks, loss and daily life, which I loved. I, I think it's so kind of soothing to hear your daily thoughts. It's very, um, it feels to me a little bit like um, sleepless in Seattle when they're corresponding back and forth or um, I told you that uh, Julie and Julia, mm -hmm. when um, Julie is describing what she's making each day, but then she's also talking about her thoughts and how she's feeling. And Christine, I, I absolutely love the project. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm also wondering, well, I do want you to read some of a few of the cards that you wrote and a few responses from them. 
Um, if actually, could you do that now? And I'm going to start cracking eggs. Oh, sure. By the okay. way, I didn't know tiramisu meant that. And I should know that. I'm, I'm Italian. Yes, Why did. didn't I know? You're Italian. And <laughs> also, before you do that, I'm going to say there's a lot of controversy about this recipe. Oh. oh, my gosh. It's an, it's from Alison Roman, who is a, a chef, and she also is featured on the New York Times um, recipes a lot. And so there are so many comments. This recipe is called a classic tiramisu. And everyone's like, this is not classic. And some people are like, shut up. Don't listen to those <laughs> comments. Just make it. It's amazing. So there's a lot of controversy because this has heavy cream in it. Um, it has raw egg, which again, there's a whole debate. Should it, should it not? I don't really care. I just want it to turn out well. And um, also I realized that I don't know how to get egg yolks from eggs. And I was looking online how to do it. And someone suggested that you take a water bottle and <laughs> you suck oh, up the egg yolk. So we're cool. gonna try that here. I have not tried this yet and it better work. <gasps> it worked what that was it, so cool that was like magic that was magic so we need four of these babies so we've got one oh i don't want to talk because i want to see that oh my that was gosh so cool wasn't that like the coolest little trick i yeah. i really didn't know if it was gonna work and then i was gonna have to use my hands and you know who wants to do that so okay let's try it again oh <gasps> What? That is it, wild. Isn't that the craziest thing? I just sucked it up in the water bottle. The yolk just went right in. So willing. Such a good little participant. Wow. So, okay. <laughs> well, the world of cooking is so bizarre to me. Like, I don't really read recipes or watch cooking shows or whatever. And I, but I, every time I get a, like, sort of a whiff of it, it sounds like it's, People are really opinionated and it's sort of competitive. And I don't know. It's so funny to me. that it's Yeah, I did not know the controversy surrounding some of these recipes. But holy moly. Okay, so I got a little bit of yolk in that one. We need four. And I have three. So this is our fourth one. Okay. Um, and I'm quite pleased about this trick. So for those of you who need to do this ever, take a water bottle, suck up the yolk, and go, uh-oh. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, uh -oh. now, yeah. Okay, you know what, watchers, viewers, listeners, we're gonna do it that one again, okay? Because just as things were going so well, they went sideways. I'm gonna mix it back in here and I'm gonna suck up that yolk. But is nice. it bad if that one is in there or? <gasps> oh no. What is happening? <gasps> you oh, know no. why? I didn't do it fast. I wasn't confident enough. And I screwed it up. I started to second guess my abilities. Yeah. It's almost like you can't think about it. You just have to do it or something. You have to suck and drop. <laughs> but, but so can you use that one now if it has all that yolk in there or? We're going to. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Okay. You know what? It's good. It's okay. good how it is. Sometimes life isn't perfect. And that's <laughs> what I'm learning. <laughs> that's not true. My life is perfect. I was going to say um, that when you were talking about Sleepless in Seattle and like Julia and um, I don't know, it's so funny to me to think of that pro my project that way because for me it was like, I don't know, I think... Um, I really was, I don't want to say, I was going to say it's like 
like uh, sleepless in Seattle with mental illness or something, you know, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I probably, I used to be a lot more insecure about it, but now I think I'm comfortable saying like, yeah, I was at a, like a really hard point in my life and things were not going well. And I had, you know, I, w I was just feeling like severely isolated. And also this is before really, I mean, there was the internet, but I actually didn't even have a computer at that time in my life. And there certainly wasn't social media like there is now. So there was, all, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's sort of sounds silly to say like, oh, 2005, it was such a different landscape, but I don't know. It was pretty different. Like it was pretty quintessentially different. You know what I mean? Like the way yeah. you would correspond with people and and whatnot. It just wasn't, there wasn't social media like there is now. So I feel like that just factors into it. But I also don't mind saying that like that project was born out of a feeling that I think maybe a lot of women might have or just people in general in their mid thirties, which is like, you want to be an artist or have a creative life or like maybe even live outside of the world of capitalism in some way, if you're like me. But what does that look like when you get in your 30s and then 40s and then 50s? Now I'm 50. So it's like, I don't know. And I just feel like there's not, you don't hear a lot about it, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. so for me at that time, I was just like, you know, I'm 35 and I'm a complete, sort of failure by anyone's standards and so anyway so I just wanted to interject that because um that was like kind of heavily factored into the whole thing yeah. but honestly but that seems like a lot of ways that people start projects like <laughs> but... uh, it's true like you're not feeling great you need an outlet or you need something or and and so you take a chance and you take a risk and you put yourself out there and you do this thing and then it can turn into something great. So, um, yeah. And by yeah. the way, I will say that in the very beginning, I did sort of fantasize about, um, some Nora Ephron esque scenario in which some Starbucks customer representative would be like, oh, this woman is adorable. And like, maybe we'll, maybe we'll fall in love. You know, I just remember being so like obsessed with love at that time in my life. Yeah. Like when, you know, will it happen? Like, when is it ever going to happen? So like, I'll, I'll read this letter while you cook, because this is, I mean, this was one of the first ones too. So this is like, probably within a, a couple weeks of this project. Okay. I said, dear Starbucks, okay, the thing about, the thing I wonder about relationships is if you are profoundly in love with someone, then how do you ever really get over it? If it didn't work out, does that mean it was not true love? If it was true love, then why didn't it last? If you do get over it, then can't you get over anyone? Does that mean that all relationships are basically interchangeable? If they're all the same, then what's the point of pouring your heart into anything? But if you never get over it, that means that practically everybody is walking around with a broken heart. How can new love ever hope to blossom? Please write back. Love, Chris. <laughs> so like that's a pretty good sort of 
sample of my tone <laughs> at this yeah. juncture. Um, I mean, yeah, it's very um, reflective and, and profound. I mean, really. Um, okay, let me just, let me whip these and then we're going to hear a response. I have in here now our four egg yolks and mascarpone <gasps> um, cheese. Yeah. And so let me put these together. Another part of this controversy is that I'm supposed to, <laughs> I'm supposed to whip the, um, the egg yolks with, um, with something else first. Oh, with the sugar. But everyone's comments were like, don't mix it with the sugar. Mix it with, <laughs> mix it with the mascarpone cheese. So that's what I'm doing. So it's, it's, it's looking good. It's a pretty Ooh. light color, light yellow, kind of fluffy looks perfect to me because of course, again, our lives are perfect. <laughs> and then um, I have the whipping cream, which I'm going to put with the sugar. I reduced the amount of sugar a little bit because again, very opinionated people on the New York Times cooking website. Instead of a half a cup, I'm going with a third of a cup of sugar. So I'm going to put it in with the whipped cream. I think this might take a little while. So I want to hear your response and then I'll do some the Starbucks response, and then I'll do some whipping. Okay. Okay. Um, so their response was, I think this was their first response, um, which was like maybe a week after I wrote that. They said, Dear Christine Ferreira, thank you for contacting Starbucks Coffee Company. It is always a sincere pleasure to hear from valued customers. Providing premium coffee and customer service is Starbucks' ongoing goal. So we are glad to hear that your experiences reflect just that. We shared your comments with the Retail Operations Department to ensure that the appropriate partners slash employees receive the praise and recognition they deserve. Thank you for acknowledging Starbucks' efforts. We hope you will enjoy Starbucks coffee for years to come. Warm regards, Ryan F. <laughs> so, like, the, <laughs> it's, it feels sort of weirdly comforting to hear that, but yeah. Yeah, like you're pouring your heart out, and they're like, we are so happy to provide a quality product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're so excited about beans. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, let me try and do this for a minute, and hopefully I can still hear you if you can hear me. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, well, here's, I'll read this one. I won't okay. probably, I won't read, I won't read them all. That would be crazy. Um, <laughs> Dear Starbucks, today I went to Starbucks for a cappuccino. There was a man in front of me at the counter. He asked the barista if the toffee fudge nut brownie was any good. She said she'd never tried it. He asked the other barista. She said the same thing. Then he turned to me and said, what do you think? I said, I think it tastes like a combination of sawdust and poo. No, I didn't really say that. But don't you think it's strange that a grown man can't make up his own mind about a brownie? He said, he said, I don't mess with it unless I get a recommendation. Crazy. Love, Chris. So the only reason I read that is because shortly after that, I got this one from them, which was, Dear Christine Ferreira, thank you for contacting Starbucks Coffee Company. We always appreciate hearing feedback from valued customers. <laughs> we were sorry to hear about your experience at Starbucks. 
Providing courteous and professional customer service is a top priority at Starbucks, so your comments are of great concern to us. <laughs> All partners slash employees attend 24 hours of training where delivering premium service is stressed as one of the main goals. We shared your comments with the store manager and district manager as customer feedback is a critical measure of Starbucks success in exceeding customer expectations. If you return to any Starbucks location and do not have an enjoyable experience, <laughs> we invite you to speak directly with the store manager. Please accept the <laughs> enclosed beverage coupon with our apologies for your experience. We hope all future visits to Starbucks bring you nothing but pleasure. Oh my God. Warm regards, Jared S. <laughs> I know I was like horrified because I was like, what is wrong? Like what? I didn't even know what they were talking about. I had to like go back through what I had written to them. And the only thing that was even vaguely complaining was that thing about that toffee brownie guy or whatever. So then I wrote them back because I was like, I felt really bad about it. So I said, dear Starbucks, I just got your letter, <laughs> but I don't know why you are apologizing for your employees. I was commenting on the odd behavior of a customer at Starbucks. I've never had a bad experience with the employees at any Starbucks because I felt bad because I didn't want to get them in trouble. I feel terrible about the misunderstanding and would like to apologize to you and your employees. The atmosphere at my local Starbucks is one of peaceful sanctuary and self-reflection. Starbucks is synonymous with caffeinated enlightenment. It is the buoyant lifeboat that keeps me from sinking under the weight of the biscotti around my neck. Love, Chris. So I think so I took care glad. of it. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Wait, so um, do you, did you feel conflicted then about supporting a corporation? <laughs> well, what do you mean supporting? Oh, well, okay. So I guess, so you got the idea because you're at one of their stores or restaurants, whatever they, they choose to call it. Um, but, you know, like, maybe you could have gone to your local coffee shop instead. And then I, I assume, and I might be wrong, that you continue then to frequent Starbucks, but maybe that's not correct. So like by supporting, I just mean by buying their products, being a customer. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, so I will say that um, I not only try to support local stuff, but I actually much prefer I don't really like Starbucks coffee. I mean, um, so what I would do generally is I would just go there and grab a stack of cards. I mean, I definitely did get coffee there sometimes because also in 2005, there weren't a ton of coffee shops. Like there were in Richmond, there was like maybe one or two other places you could go, but I would definitely go to those places like I was I I was always trying to be really conscious also it's just my personal taste like I would way rather have something that's like you know unique in some way um yeah. but uh the following so what happened was like after a year of writing them and doing that project I ended up moving to Korea wow. and I decided to keep writing them because then when I was living in Korea, I was even more isolated. <laughs> so, and I, it's like, yeah, at the time I was like, God, could I feel more isolated? But I had heard that if you 
were teaching English in Korea that you could, like, you didn't need an advanced college degree. You just needed, like, a bachelor's degree to do it, mm-hmm. which I had at the time. So, um, and then I heard that you could get out of debt. So I decided I'm going to, like, pay off all my student debt, all my debt debt, and I'm going to go live in Korea for a year. And so I decided to keep writing them. But then I will say that Korea had even less options for coffee shops. Like, as a matter of fact, the Starbucks closest to me when I lived in Seoul was still really far. So, like... I would have to travel there. And I don't even know if they had those cards. But what I did was when I knew I was going to be living overseas, I totally stocked up. So every time I saw a Starbucks, I would just take all their cards. (laughs) So I literally had like a massive stack of them. Yeah. So that's what I, I, yeah. Hard bandit. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, for me, like, it's I I don't think I even feel any differently than I did then. I was like, corporations are bad. Like co- corporations yeah. are like fucking up the economic system. You know, they're making it almost impossible for anybody to compete. And um, you know, like I'm a pretty hardcore socialist <laughs> type of person. So so for me, I was always very conscious of it. I'm actually really glad you brought it up because. My biggest fear with this project is that it would come off as if I was like in love with Starbucks or just that I was like happily consuming, being a happy consumer of, you know, things like that, which I try to be super, you know, conscious of that. I mean, and I think it's probably only gotten worse in terms of like small businesses. And I mean, there is sort of like more of a movement to buy and do everything local but yes. at the same time, these corporations seem to be getting bigger than ever and more powerful. And it's such a power vacuum, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, well, they're definitely taking over. Like, I mean, you think about Amazon and like the bookstores that have closed. Um, but I do think there's been kind of a resurgence where people are very intentional about supporting local because how sad is it to not have a bookstore in your neighborhood? And I say this as someone, I do order from Amazon, but I order... Typically, I order things from Amazon that like are really generic that I would have to go to a big shop or other corporation to buy. And I try and buy smaller, more unique things locally. Anyway, I'm not saying I'm a saint, but I'm just I try to do it when I can. But I do actually also use Amazon for certain things. Um, Okay, so this is getting finally it looks like it's getting fluffy. This is our heavy whipping cream and sugar. It's finally starting to come together. Um, Christina, I also wanted to ask you, what did you learn from this project? It could be anything, anything that, that you took away from it. Well, I mean, I feel like for me, actually, as an artist, I feel like it was super key. Um, I mean, this still sort of relates to that whole conversation about corporations and I don't want to keep going with that but at the same time it's like part of it for me from the inception was it also it wasn't like I was doing some documentary investigative reporting on a corporation such as Starbucks for me the where the interesting part was taking place was the okay, if corporations are people, what kind of people would they be? 
and Starbucks is like your friendly local, like Starbucks would probably be that guy with a guitar who's always hanging out playing guitar or something. And for me, I just was like, that's the crux of it is that I want to see over a period of time, I just want to see what it looks like when like a human being is sort of juxtaposed with that mm -hmm. with like this friendly brand you know what I mean it's like because there there was a lot of talk and actually there's been talk recently about like should corporations have the same rights as people and all that kind of stuff and so for me I felt like rather than going after them like you know investigative reporter style like everything that you're doing this and are you good and are you moral and stuff like that I thought I just wanted to take it almost like on a bigger level of juxtaposing like human beings with corporations. Like this is the scenario in which yeah. we live where, you know, and, and of course, you know, human beings also work for corporations. So I'm writing to a corporation and that's sort of part of the joke is that it's sort of inherently funny because it's like a disconnect, but then a human being at the corporation is the one who's reading it and writing me back. And yeah. so, so as it went on, it went on for 10 years and that's, wow. yeah. So a, a little more than halfway through is when I got this letter from someone there that was kind of a breakthrough for me where they, it was the first time that they not only acknowledged me specifically, Mm -hmm. Like they would always say, dear Christine Ferreira, dear Christine Ferreira. And then one day I literally got an email that was like, hello, Chris. And it was like totally different. And it had like little smiley faces and like <laughs> little, you know, stuff like that. And it was just this girl or this woman wow. over there who was like, I've been reading your letters for years. And... Yeah. I hear when there's pain in your voice <laughs> and, uh, and like sometimes when things are going good for you, everybody is, it just puts a little, I can't remember what she said, but it was like, I mean, I have it right here in the book somewhere, but she said like, you know, it makes us, it kind of puts a little, you know, smile on my face. And then oh, when you're, you know, I could read you her note if you want, but yeah. um, she says, hello, Chris. I know you have heard from a few of us over here at Starbucks over the years, but I just wanted to say that it truly is a joy to read your notes that you send in. Many of us read them and are able to almost take a mental break from daily work and just put ourselves into your world. Sometimes your notes bring a little bit of sunshine into mine and others' days, and sometimes I hear the sadness in your notes, and I just want somehow to let you know that complete strangers are reading your words and crossing our fingers for you, hoping oh. your day gets better. Anyway, I know this is a corny email and I hope I'm not being too intrusive in personally writing you. It's just something I've been wanting to do for a while. And then it's a smiley face and it says, so all that cheesiness said, thank you for your notes to us and take care. Aw. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Did so this is obviously very personal response. How did so how did that make you feel to get that response back? Well, it it kind of stopped me in my tracks actually. Like I was like, 
Because this, I'm years into it at this point. I've been doing it for years and years. And there also were like long periods of time where I never heard from them. So I'd be like, wow, I really am alone. (laughs) And, uh, or I just moved around a lot also. So I might not have gotten mail for a while. But anyway, so this one really stopped me in my tracks. And I just was like, A, that's so kind. And I mean, it just... You know, I'm a pretty sensitive, sort of empathetic type of person. So it really, you know, kind of, it really touched me. And it was really like, wow. And it also let me know because I had no idea. Nobody had ever said anything very personal to me before. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, they do read my letters, like the thousands at this point that I've been sending in. And they read them and like somebody has put it together that, you know, it's sort of like this person or whatever, and they're even kind of paying attention. But then if I'm being honest, the other part of the response was, oh man, she ruined it. She ruined my project because now Starbucks has like a human face and voice and is like, (laughs) of course adorable and like you know there's a real person over there and it's not like this joke of like screaming into the void and like you know sort of like pouring your heart out to a corporation which was I was doing these performances and people would you know we'd have a big laugh about it like how stilted their letters were compared to what I was saying because at this point I'm like telling them about like the death of my father and like these horrible breakups or whatever it was that I was going through. Um, And, you know, just getting these rock wooden responses or whatever, that was like the joke of it. And I was so used to that, you know? And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it was like this really disarming, really sweet, sincere Mm -hmm. letter. So it really threw me off. Like it, it threw off my whole kind of little world with that project. But anyway, but ultimately, yeah. I mean, ultimately it made me so happy because it's, it's sweet. And, you know, ultimately I'd rather live in a world where there's still human beings. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even though it's a huge corporation, it's of course, there's still actual real people working there. And probably the day-to-day employees have a lot of the same struggles that any of us have around just trying to make it just they want good health insurance. They want to support their families. They want to go to school. They want to, you know, all of these kinds of things. Like it's very human. Um, okay. So on that note, <laughs> on that deep note, I want to say that I combined it with, <gasps> with the egg and um, it it's, looks it's so very, fluffy. It's so fluffy. It looks kind of like Easter in a bowl. I'm Jewish, but it does. I know what Easter <laughs> looks like and that's what it looks like. And now I got like a five shot espresso. So I'm going to put it in here. Unfortunately, I forgot to get rum. So I got brandy and maybe that's mm. going to taste awful. I don't know, but we've, we've got our Starbucks espresso. I'm going to put a little bit of brandy in it. It just says like two tablespoons. I might put a little less. Um, who knows? Do you know, will this taste good, Christine? Oh, I think it'll taste so good. I'm not that, I don't really know that much about like brandies or whatever, but (laughs) it sounds really good and mellow. 
I used okay. to make this cake that was chocolate with espresso and bourbon in it. Ooh. I think bourbon is different than brandy. I don't know brown liquor for some reason. I can't. I, I don't drink I it. I don't either. I don't either. I never do. But um, but it does taste good and stuff. I know that. Okay. <laughs> Bra- well, good. Generally, brown and I have- tastes good. Brown is good. Okay, good. Because <laughs> everything in here is very brown and it's very dark. <gasps> going to put a little of this Tarani um, dark chocolate syrup in. It's, this is my own spin on things. This is oh. my own uniqueness. Wow. So that's it. I just put it in. Now, okay. So we have everything set up here. Like this is what the lady fingers get dipped in. Wow. I did not make lady fingers. I bought some really, <laughs> I bought some at Jewel and they might be awful. So, uh, it, they were the only ones I could find. Um, and so we're just going to go with it. That's oh, what we're going to do. They look amazing. Yeah. I can't imagine making lady finger. I don't even know <laughs> what that is, but yeah. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. So yeah. we've got our Starbucks espresso, a nod to you and your awesome project. And then I'm supposed to sift the cocoa powder into the bottom of the dish and then start to soak the lady fingers, make a layer, put the Easter creation on top and then do it again. Wow. So, yeah. But Christine, are you going to be at Lincoln Lodge this week? Cause I want to drop some off. Yeah. Well, I'll okay. be, I'm here all day today and okay. tomorrow. I'm here all oh, day tomorrow. Perfect. So. Cause it has to be refrigerated for a while. And I, I read that the flavors actually peak after one or two days. <gasps> Woo. Oh, so I, I love tiramisu. It. It's like my favorite. It's like you knew or something. Perfect. I did know. I did know. So, so I love that though about that personal response. And I, I do think that's kind of like, yeah, I can see what you mean about like it kind of ruined it, but it's also <laughs> like just kind of real about how complicated this, you know, these corporations are like they employ millions and millions of people who of course are also just people like we are. So yeah, it seems like very real in a lot of ways. Yeah, Um, it's a tough one. I don't know. I just, the part that I just don't understand economically is like why it has to be this endless growth growth cycle. It's like, can't it be sort of like a collective or, you know, where it like gets to a point where it just is sustaining a lot of employment and it's making a good product or service, but it doesn't like this, this infinite growth thing, Yeah, you know, is the part that I think. And, you know, like when I was growing up in the eighties, that's when that whole mentality was so, I mean, it was just, it went unquestioned. It was like, of course you should just, there should be no limit, no, no cap on anything. And well, you should, right. yeah. and it's like, now we're really seeing what that looks like with people like Jeff Bezos and billionaires. I, I think he's close to becoming a trillionaire or he's yeah. something he's the like oh, person in the world. Oh I think. God, it's so gross. Yeah. But just the fact that there's like, it's something like the 10 richest people in the world have mm-hmm. like w- more wealth by, by a lot, I think, than like the other rest of the I mean it's just I mean it's actually so messed up at this point that it's down to like 10 or 
so people have like more wealth than the bottom 50% of all humankind. And then beyond that, it's like the top, you know, whatever that is, 0.01% or whatever it is, have more wealth than the whole 99.9999% or whatever it is. I don't know the numbers exactly, but it's, that's so skewed and it's never, that's unprecedented. And we're talking since the time of like, I don't know, pharaohs and stuff where pharaohs were buried with like live slaves and whatever and all this stuff, there there hasn't been this wealth disparity. So, no. so that's the part that kind of gets my mind spinning about the corporate model of doing things. But I mean, I feel like there's got to be a new way to do it. Like there, like yeah. ultimately, a cor- a, and corporations in the beginning started out with the idea of corporate uh, cooperatives like it was called a cooperative and or like a collective yeah it was supposed to be like you know owner like a worker owned and all that kind of stuff and places like Starbucks they do little nods to that where they say our partners our employees slash partners yeah but I mean no it's I've talked to people who work at Starbucks I actually befriended the manager at my local Starbucks when I lived in Baltimore. And I was like, you got to tell me the real, like, what's the real scoop on this? Is it, it, they're always saying it's one of the best places to work according to whatever magazine. And he was like, no, no. He, he told me that it was like the corporate manual is like five phone books stacked on top of each other, like the rules and just all the protocol and the whatever there's that. But also, I mean, you know, whatever, I could go on all day about it, but it's, you know, this is like back in the days where a $15 minimum wage was practically inconceivable. And now it's actually like, that's not even enough. And of course it's not enough. It's nowhere near enough. It's not 1980. I mean, stuff is expensive. Like, I don't know, you know. So one thing I will say about that project for me is that, so as an artist, what I got out of it was when you're writing every day, it was like, my first writing practice that I developed. And that pretty much led directly to writing jokes and comedy and things like that. And um, which I started doing, I guess, around 2011 or 12. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask about your start. Yeah. But another really important thing that came out of that project, which is maybe less fun to talk about, is that (laughs) I was really... It, it really made me think about money and how economics works mm-hmm. and that, that whole thing of like, why do some people have the top, all the wealth in the world, and then I'm working three jobs, waiting tables, and I can't, I can barely pay my, my rent, and I am never going to pay off my student loans and all that kind of stuff. So I started thinking a lot about that and like how artists support themselves and support their art and what it looks like to be an artist your whole life. Because you hear a lot about artists when they're just starting out, when they're up and coming, you hear a lot about like the latest new best, you know, and you do with comedy too. It's like who, I mean, it's almost like it gets younger every year. It's like, oh, the top best 10 comics and they're all under 24 or whatever. And it's like, that's great. And I'm not, I've, I have no problem with that, but I'm just saying if we want to change 
economics, if we want to change our American capitalist culture, Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I do. I mean, I, maybe nobody wants to change it. But during the pandemic, there's been more talk about it than there has in the last 50 years. And if we want to change any of this, like in these discrepancies of wealth or like these models of how, where to work or how to support yourself or how to even do anything beyond support yourself, like be an artist or be, you know, do something that's not just for a paycheck, then how do you do that? So it started me on this path of like really thinking hardcore about how to not be like completely on somebody else's, you know what I mean? Like to not be beholden to, to be like more self-sufficient and to make art in the long term. Like I want to be an artist my whole life. And I don't have a ton of role models to look at. I mean, it's and the ironic part to me is like by default, the role models are all sort of the exceptions. Because if you look at someone like, well, Pablo Picasso or Matisse were making art into their 80s. And it's like, you know, they were also men. So that's one thing. And they also were like a total exception. You know what I mean? Like not everybody is going to be, you know, Jeff Koons or whoever is an artist that makes a lot of money. Um, and like, you know, there's comedy equivalents of that too. You know, we can't all be like, you know, a mini, you know, brand or whatever. I mean, it's like, so it's like, I I don't know. It just got me thinking about a lot of that stuff. And so, um, the biggest thing that came out of it was just sort of strategizing ways to support myself and my art long-term and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I guess yeah. that's it. <laughs> that's my yeah. little spiel. Um, okay, I have to tell you that I ran out. Okay, so everyone <laughs> said, <laughs> everyone said, oh, it's so much espresso. You only need like five shots, which is what I got, and two tablespoons of the um, of the liquor, which I did. And so I basically have one layer and a half of tiramisu so this was supposed to be our second layer oh it didn't happen that's okay oh my <laughs> so gosh it this is what it is and I put cocoa powder on it through our little sifter thingy and I do want to just take a taste um so that I don't deliver something that's awful to you um but I also want to get a plate so I don't gross you out and let me just try I'll try a little bit of the double layer section you are supposed to refrigerate this though for like two hours oh man it looks so good good i'm gonna just take a quick pick of our one and a half layer tiramisu i should have done it before i uh tried it but whatever okay so here i go Mm. Mm. it's good it's really good and i just i can't wait for these flavors to peak (laughs) so. <laughs> yeah me too yeah um mm-hmm. okay. so i'll bring you some of this i'm gonna put it in the fridge right now and um christine before we wrap up i also i just think ah i'm stuck but i'm coming back i got stuck on the refrigerator um, <laughs> i think it's um it's so cool. Like you have really deep roots in Chicago. Like you're 
family and your grandparents had a supper club that that sounds like it was so um, like vibrant and popular and cool and there were all kinds of performers there and um, did that has that influenced you like your grandparents kind of being in the entertainment world? Yeah, it really has. Um, I have to say, though, it's it's such a crazy thing. I mean, speaking of full circle. So right now I'm at the Lincoln Lodge uh, comedy venue in Logan Square, and I'm sitting I'm on uh, Milwaukee Avenue and I'm literally five blocks from where my grandparents supper club used to be in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, Um, it's funny because like. Well, without going too deep into it, I, I, part of the reason that I started doing performance and comedy so late in life, I, w- I didn't start doing performance till I was in my 30s, and I didn't start doing comedy till I was in my 40s. Uh-huh. And part of that is because I was, had like debilitating shyness and like social anxiety, and which in retrospect, it probably makes sense that I, did this weird like writing letters like a crazy person <laughs> to this corporation. But anyway, but to bring it full circle, so my parents ran this supper club in the 1930s and 40s. And then, but they had bars, they had all kinds of stuff on Milwaukee Avenue and the intersection of Milwaukee Avenue and Logan Boulevard and Kedzie, which is the heart of Logan Square, which is five wow. blocks from where I'm sitting yes. right now. And so my whole life, I grew up hearing about this wild, it was called the Cave of the Winds, and it, because it was decorated like a cave, because my grandparents um, immigrated here from Sicily, and that's where they went on their honeymoon, was the Cave of the Winds in Niagara Falls. And so my, and, but, you know, by the way, like my grandparents came here, um, well, my grandfather came here from Sicily, and he was 10 years old and, you know, they had like not a dime when they came here. He and his brothers and sisters, their parents had died. And so somehow or other, he worked all through his teenage years um, driving, delivering beer from Chicago to Milwaukee, apparently. And uh, that I guess that was a thing back then. And then there was prohibition and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, he worked like a, he did construction. He drove cab, saved up all his money, opened this supper club called Cave of the Winds. They would do three shows a night, seven nights a week. It was burlesque, comedy, music. Um, and we have all that. We have just like hundreds of pictures of like headshots of all the performers or like ads or like little things from the Cave of the Winds. And it's all these like um, immigrants. It's like people from all over the place, you know. So um, but anyway, the crazy part about it is, is that I never put it together, like the thing about wanting to do performance and my grandparents spending probably most of their life with performers and the, running a club, like I, until like much later, like when I started performing, as soon as I started telling people about that, they were like, oh, that makes so much sense, you know, because you're like a comedian or whatever. So it's just totally wild. And for me to be back in Chicago after I grew up here, but I haven't lived here since I was 18. Um, And to be like kind of working just blocks from where that place used to be, is just, it's so intense for me. It's like, yeah. Yeah. What a cool story and really cool family history. That's so neat, Christine. Um, 
Well, I loved having you. I loved hearing about your book. I think it is just the coolest project. Um, and I'm so glad that we got to make tiramisu oh. together. What I are you have gonna so do much with all of that? To. I mean, who knows? I shouldn't eat it because it's raw egg. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, so I, think, like, I think you can eat like a certain amount of raw egg, and it's yeah. probably even good for you. I don't know. But... I mean, well, I'm gonna eat more of it. That's for sure because I have some here, okay. and then you're gonna eat some too. So yeah. that's good. Um, but yeah, I just I didn't know about these portions, but like, who cares? Yeah. No big deal. Um, and. Yeah, I loved having you on, and I'm going to deliver you some um, tiramisu later. So oh, awesome. Thank you yeah. so much. Of course. So thank you so much for being my guest on Hot Dish. We didn't make something hot, but you did dish, so <laughs> that's what I like. And um, thank you to Lincoln Lodge. Thank you for you to you for being the <laughs> producer and the guest. And it was wonderful. I will see you all next time on Hot Dish.